0: So let's on with a word of prayer, and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Again, I thank you for everyone who's here this morning. Lord, this whole book is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ, getting to know you better as our Lord, our God, our Savior, and our King And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that you would give us ears to hear. We ask these things in your holy, in your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So when you think of the book of Revelation, most people think of prophecy. And certainly that makes sense because it is the book that has more prophecy than any other book in the Bible. The word revelation is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. So the book is really about us getting to know Jesus better. It's the unveiling of who Jesus is and all that He has done for us. And so we saw in the first two weeks, uh, the first we looked at verses 1 through 3 and did an overview. By the way, if you want to get caught up, you can go to our website, and all the messages are there, and they're, they're posted on our site. And then last week, we looked more in-depth at the person of Jesus Christ and who He is. And now this morning, we're going to see... What Jesus, uh, how Jesus appears and who he is in heaven. So this book was being written by the apostle John. We know that John was the apostle whom Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself, not because he was arrogant, but because he was blown away that Jesus loved him. And we know in the beginning, uh, anyway, that John wrote the gospel of John, first, second, and third John, and now he's writing the book of Revelation. At the time he writes this, all the other apostles have been martyred, uh, John is probably around 90 years old. They tried to kill him. Uh, he, history teaches us that they boiled him in oil, but he did not die because God had another book for him to write. Can I get an amen to that? And so he was banished to the island of Patmos by Dalmatian, who was an evil and wicked man who slaughtered Christians, and he couldn't kill him, so he wanted to remove him, and they put him out on a basically a prison rock. And out there on Patmos where they would work all, hard all day he would also would, be, would write this letter and it's in this letter that we get a glimpse of the lord now we're going to see in this morning's chapter in verse 19 kind of the overview of what revelation is about it's about what is what was what is and what is to come and we've seen so far again things from the past we're going to see the church age if you come next week Chapters 2 and 3. So chapter 1 is really just focusing on who Jesus is in heaven, the person of Jesus Christ, the whole book's about that. Chapter 2 and 3, we'll see the church age. And then at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, you see John being called up into the presence of Almighty God. And from that point forward, you don't see the church mentioned anymore. This is why I will teach this from a perspective of premillennial, pre-tribulational view. You just got a headache because you don't know what that means. But here's the reality. It means that. I believe that the church will be snatched away before God starts to bring the tribulation upon the world. Amen? If you disagree with that, that's okay. You'll be glad that you go with us when we leave early. Can I get an amen? Now, from chapter 4 to the rest of the book, we don't see the church again until we come back with Jesus. So this morning, if you have your outline, grab it. And I encourage you to hang on to these. I try to make applicational outlines so you can Not only learn what the Bible says, but apply it to your life. And I tell the message this morning, getting to know Jesus in a deeper way. Who wants to know Jesus better? Okay, I've been a pastor for 35 years. I've been a Christian for 55 years, and I need to know Jesus better. And to know Him better is to love Him more. Amen? And so getting to know Jesus better, here are the seven points we'll look at this morning. Number one, by remaining steadfast in the Word. Now, I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy, but we do have, we ordered more of these. But I would encourage you, read to the whole counsel of God, right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by? God. Word of God, right? And so we want to spend more time in the Word. And again, read the book, Don't Wait for the Movie, although you're invited to the movie on the February 22nd. But I want to encourage you guys to spend time in the Word, to stay in the Word of God. The way that we know the God of the Word is to spend time in the Word of God. And even in the midst of trials and difficulty. Number two by walking in the Spirit, by being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll see this with John as he's writing this letter, how the Spirit will will speak to him and through him. Number three, by listening to his voice. You know, people say, I don't hear from the Lord. Well, that's not God's fault. That's my fault. That's your fault. Amen? Because God is speaking to us, but we need to be listening to him. And how do we do that? We spend time in intimate fellowship with the Lord and time in his word. Number four, by seeing Jesus for who he is in all his glory. I have a pet peeve, right? Here's one of them. When they paint pictures of Jesus and they make him look like an effeminate wimp. Does anybody recognize that that happens sometimes? Can I get an amen to that? When Jesus lived on this planet, first of all, he's almighty God who took on humanity, but he also was a construction worker who worked with stone. Have you ever seen an effeminate Construction, construction worker in your life. So he was solid. He was choked. But here's the point. You're not only that, now in heaven, he is. we're going to see his glorified body this morning. If you want to know what Jesus looks like in heaven, you're going to get to hear about it this morning. And when we see who Jesus is in heaven, guys, he's the suffering savior, but he's also the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. Amen. And when we get a glimpse of him in heaven, my prayer is that we will remember that's who he is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you every single day. That's our God. That's the God that we serve, amen? And he is greater than your problems. See, your problems are only great if your God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God, and he's greater than anything we'll ever go through in this life, amen? So we're going to see him for who he is in all of his glory. Then number five, by coming to him in brokenness and desperation, There should be an awe of who God is. And I think the the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if we don't fear God, we won't fully grasp who God is and all that He has done for us. It gives us a proper perspective on this life. And then by allowing Him to minister to you, you know, the two things that people fear the most are death and public speaking. And by God's grace, I'm not afraid of either one of those, (laughs) okay? And you know what? Here's the good news. Jesus' death on the cross took away the things that we should fear the most, and that's death and hell. Amen? And if you've been born again, the Bible tells us that death has no sting. As believers, we don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. You close your eyes on earth and you open them up in glory and heaven's better. Amen? And we will never, if you've been born again, you will never spend one second in hell. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? How many of us deserve hell? Your hands not up, you're prideful, and you really deserve it. Can I get amen to that? The reality is that sin, God cannot have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. There can be no sin in the presence of perfect holy God. And so we cannot go to heaven as sinners. I mean, but praise God that we've been saved by his grace. Amen? And because we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed, we're new creations in Christ, we've been delivered from the things that we as men and women should fear the most. And then finally by heeding his instructions. Guys, it's not enough to read the word. We need to live it. Amen? Open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? It's not just something we read. We're not reading Moby Dick, right? This is not Aesop's fable. This is the living, breathing word of God. Again, if you've been going here a while, you know this is 66 books, written by 40 authors, on three continents, in three languages, over 1,500 years, with one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? Amen. And God wrote a book and he delivered it to us. We need to open it, read it, obey it. So let's begin. They're looking at getting to know Jesus in a deeper way by remaining steadfast in his word. Verse 9 I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John is again reintroducing himself in a sense. And he's letting them know, I am both your brother and your companion in tribulation. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? You've heard me say that blood is thicker than water, but Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. I have people I'm related to physically, and I have people that I've I've met in line at Disneyland or at the grocery store who I'm closer to. Once we find out that we're both believers, somebody wears a Christian t-shirt, we start talking about the Lord, and in five minutes, we have the Holy Spirit in common, amen? And there are people that I'm related to physically that I'm not as close to as somebody who knows the Lord that I met five minutes ago. And what he's saying is like, I'm your brother, I'm in, I'm in this with you. John is writing this from prison, from an outward prison, right? He's on a rock, and he's writing to these believers who are getting this letter, at that time, who were all facing great tribulation. This is when Christians are being fed to lions, Christians are being set on fire. In those days, being a Christian was you know, something that would bring about definitely tribulation and often your own death. And John is saying, look, I'm your brother, and I, I am a co-laborer with you, and I'm a companion with you when it comes to difficulty. Now, the Bible says, in this world, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen. It says in James chapter one, count all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, not if, but when. But the difference is when we go through trials, we never go through them alone because we have Jesus Christ. How many of you are going through a difficult time right now? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, it's coming. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Because you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or get ready to go into a trial because we live in a fallen world. And he's letting them know, look, I understand what you're going through. I'm a companion of yours in it. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, while he's the only apostle that would die a natural death, it wasn't for a lack of them trying to kill him. And we're indestructible till God is through with us. The devil can't make me do anything and he has no control over my life. Amen. But when his heart is that as in the midst of all this persecution, he wants them to know, look, I'm with you in this. I understand the tribulation you're going through. I'm going through it too. I am your brother in Christ. And now he's going to give them some words of encouragement in the midst of great trials and tribulations. He's going to let them know. He's going to get their eyes back on the Lord. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You know why we get bummed out? You know why we get overwhelmed? Is when we're so focused on the temporal and not focused enough on the eternal. Because no matter what, I don't care how much gas costs, God is still in control. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. God is faithful and in control. They had attempted to silence John. He knew what it was like to face great persecution, and he's letting these precious saints in the early church know that again, God is faithful. They couldn't shut John up. They thought if they put him on an island, it would shut him up. And all he did was write a book that then has been written been read by thousands and billions of Christians over the years, and we're now studying it. Amen? So when he got put out on that island, that was a bummer for him and a blessing for us. Amen? And the same thing is true when we go through tribulation. Sometimes in the moment it's a, bum- a, a bummer for us, but it's a blessing how God will use it for his kingdom and for his glory if we will but let him. So to keep him from furthering the kingdom, he tried to silence him. Guys, it really is foolish to try to silence God. Amen? We're living in a time when our country is trying to silence the gospel. I just saw recently, I think somebody sent me this short video, and a guy was told to take off his Christian t-shirt in a mall because people were offended. And and they were literally going to arrest him for wearing a Christian t-shirt in a mall in the United States of America. Man, I I hope they approach me with that one. I'm ready. Better arrest me in Jesus' name. I'll just start prison ministry. Can I get an amen to that? The reality is... That who we are in Christ, we must not be ashamed of the gospel. He hung on a cross of Calvary for us. Let's make a stand for him. They tried to silence John, and all it did was further the message. John's a pastor to these precious persecuted saints. He had been the pastor in Jerusalem for a time, and, and now he's been taken away. And no doubt, there are many who remember him, and getting this message from him would be a word and a source of encouragement. And as the tough times hit the church, it wasn't easy or a popular time to be a Christian. So the persecution had begun under Nero, burning of Rome and blaming it on the Christians. Under the new emperor, Dalmatian, the persecution had only gotten worse, and punishment of every Christian, again, they would dare them to renounce their faith. Renounce your faith or you could die. And you know, as believers, I want to say this too, if they came in here and lined us all up against the wall and said, deny Jesus or die, I think it, I think most of us would just die because we know heaven's better and you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? But I want to tell you something. It's easier to die in the moment than to live for him every day. And God's called us to live for him every single day. So these early Christians, persecution, torture, and martyrdom were not just possibilities. They were a daily reality. And John was Not a disconnected bystander, but he said, I'm your brother. I understand what you're going through. And John not only knew exactly what his readers were going through, but he was enduring it himself. So both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John shared with them not only the tribulation, but the kingdom. To as Christians, we not only share in trials, but in the coming rewards. As believers, we will all go through trials. But as truly born-again believers, we all have the promise of heaven. Amen? Amen. Who's going to heaven? Okay? Heaven is, a, is a, it's not a hope-so, it's a no-so. Most of you know I have a full-time job. I meet people all the time. When they find out I'm a pastor, they'll ask me. We'll start talking about things. And always, I love to ask people this. Where are you at with Jesus, and are you going to heaven? And here's the answer I get most often about heaven. I hope so. And if you know the Lord, you don't have to hope. You know because he's faithful to his word. Amen? Amen. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and we have the promise of eternal life. He's letting them know, look, I, I, I share with you the trials, but I also want you to know we all have the kingdom in common. Not just the kingdom of God in the here and now, but the one that is coming. It says in Romans 8, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children that heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I am so glad. I am so glad that this life is but a vapor and that we're going to spend eternity with Almighty God. There's a time coming when we'll never have to say goodbye. We all have loved ones that have gone before us, and there's going to be an incredible reunion in heaven. But the greatest part about that reunion is we're going to see our Savior face to face. Jesus is going to hug you one day. How about that? And the great thing is, we're going to see what He looks like in heaven. It says, and the patience of Jesus Christ. The word patience there is endurance or perseverance. See, Jesus is both the source and ability to for them to persevere as well as the example that we are to follow and for whose sake we must be willing to suffer. So he's the source of our ability to persevere. He gives us the strength to stand for him in the midst of the difficult times of this life. I told you guys, what, what's one of my favorite prayers? What is it? Help. Lord help. Okay. <laughs> I pray it off. I pray it daily. Lord, help, right? Amen. And you know what? I think that we need to know that we can't do this on our own. And, and you know, the phone will ring, and I know it's going to be something heavy. And I'll, Lord, help. I'm trying to share something with somebody or minister to somebody. Lord, help. Because we need the Lord. And the good news is he will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord gives us the same eternal perspective and unwavering faithfulness as our Lord did when he went to our place to the cross. He suffered the shame. He endured the cross for the glory that was set before him. He said, this is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See what the worst thing the world could do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. Again, you can't threaten me with heaven. And this is but light affliction when compared to eternity. Amen. Do You think John got to heaven, was bummed out. He got stuck on a, on a rock. Do you think he was upset or do you, do you think he recognized this is what God, God is using me for his glory. It's a get to, not a have to. Amen. All the trials we go through in this life, no suffering is wasted. We must, everybody used mightily in the Bible suffered greatly. And yet we, some people will even teach, well, if you come to Jesus, you'll never have another problem. Show me that Bi- Bible verse. That's first imaginations one, one or something, right? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Because everybody used mightily suffered greatly, but it's temporary suffering again that brings us eternal joy. Notice it says at the end of that verse was on that on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John's exile was a direct result of his open and bold proclamation of the truth of God's word. He was in prison because of God's word. Now. I've done prison ministry off and on for many years, and I I ministered to a lot of prisoners, and I love going and doing that because the Lord loves them, and so do I. Amen? But those guys are in prison for another reason, right? And, And if we get caught, it's our own... But John's in prison because he stood up for the Word of God. And there may come a time where if you stand for the Word of God, you may face imprisonment. But the good news is it's better to be in jail with Jesus than out of jail without him. Amen? It's better to be with the Lord, no matter where we may be. Open and bold proclamation of God's word and his unwavering testimony of the truth of who Jesus is, God in human flesh, and why he came to redeem the lost. See, the world wants to silence us. And the thing is, they can take the Bible out of schools. By the way, how's that working out? Amen. And what they t- you know they have bibles in prison and no bible in school. If we had more bible in school, we'd have to have less bibles in prison because there'd be less people in prison. Amen. We meet her on a Christian school campus. Praise God, they teach the bible here. Amen. But what's interesting is that this testimony, this stand for the things of God is something that they can't stop us from doing. See, they can take the bible out of schools and they can make they can make regulations, but they shouldn't be able to silence us. Amen. Don't you love to to, to introduce people to people that you love? It's one of my favorite things. When my kids were young, my kids were all grown, and I have six grandchildren. But I love when my family would come to my office and introduce my family because I love my family. My wife and I have been married 38 years. I still love to introduce her to people. I love that. But you know what? I love Jesus more, and I want to introduce him to everyone. Amen? And so the exhortation here is, look, I'm in jail because I told people about Jesus. Because I stood by the word of God. I was not ashamed of the Bible. And we need to make a stand for the word of God. Amen? Jesus died on the cross for us. He was banished. The word put him where he was, and the word also made him who he was. He was a prisoner, and he was a child of God. The word is what caused him to be thrown in jail, but the word was also what made him the man that he had become. John's testimony of Christ is not over yet. He's going to keep talking. John one one says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, right? Amen? And then John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, it was John who wrote of Jesus' incarnation. And this is going to be the same John some 60 years later, writing about who Jesus is in heaven, because he's going to get a vision of heaven, and he's going to share it with us. He proclaimed what he had seen, the cross. He, who was the last apostle at the cross? Who was it? It was John. So he saw Jesus dying on the cross. They saw him hanging on the cross. He, saw, he also saw... Got to go to the door around the other side, bro. Okay. Blessed are the flexible, amen? So he's about to share with his persecuted Christian brothers and sisters his deeper revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. See, he had seen him in his humanity... He had walked with them three years, right? He saw all the miracles. He was the one, the last one to leave. He was the one who had his head on the chest of our Savior at the Last Supper. So he knew. you could say that he knew Jesus as well or better than anybody who ever lived. And he had that earthly perspective of who Jesus was. But now he's going to give them all a heavenly perspective. And it must have blown him away when it was given to him. So what he had heard and what he saw again, in the revelation given to him concerning Christ. So point number one, how do we get to know Jesus better? By remaining steadfast in the word. The reason that John was so bold in his faith is he knew the word. He knew the God of the word. He didn't just know the word of God. He knew the God of the word. And he was unashamed of the gospel. And then point number two there, by walking in the spirit, by walking in the spirit. So how do you get to know Jesus better? By walking in the spirit. Verse 10, I was in the spirit, on the Lord's day, and I heard from behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, as we root through Revelation, a couple things I want you to understand. People say this is the hardest book in the Bible to understand. I don't think it's hard to understand at all. And let me tell you why. Because the Bible itself continues to define itself. If they don't tell us in the text, it's always literal, unless it's a, something that can't be literal, and then it will be defined by another verse in the Bible or in the book of Revelation itself. So we never have to wonder what it means. What is he trying to say? The book of Revelation is easy to understand. Now, what he says here, so there's two main ways of looking at this verse, and I'll give you the one that's pretty clear to me what it is. He's saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, does that mean he was in the Spirit on a Sunday? Could mean that, right? But that's not what he means. So what he's talking about is the great and coming day of the Lord, an anticipation of God's, you know, God's presence upon the earth, He's in the spirit getting a glimpse of the day of the Lord that is coming, the righteous judgment that will be coming. He's gonna have a message to the seven churches, and then he's gonna have a vision of everything that takes place after the church has been removed from the earth. And so he's in the spirit. The spirit of God is speaking to him and through him. He was in a dimension of the spirit world transported to a time known as the day of the Lord. And again, it could be translated, I was in the spirit, unto the day of the Lord, the time of God's great judgment. In Joel 2, it says this, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is a time in the future, and he's going to have a bird's eye view of everything that's taking place, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe this definition, again, clearly is what fits this book the best. There's four references to John being in the Spirit just in this book. On the island of Patmos here, in heaven in Revelation 4, verse 2, in the wilderness in Revelation 17, and on the mountain of God in Revelation 21. So this is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. And by the power of the Holy Spirit... Again, having a view of the spirit world that's going on around us, we will get a glimpse of what God shows to his apostle, John. So as believers, how do we, how do we endure this life? How can we, you know, in the midst of trials and difficulties, and the greatest trials of this life, how do we remain faithful? How do we remain joyful? You know, joy has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with who you are in Christ, amen? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. It isn't, happiness is when things are going my way. And the reality is, if the only way that you're going to be happy is when everything's perfect, you're not going to be happy very often. But you can have joy in spite of your circumstances. Amen? And you've heard the analogy I use, J-O-I, Jesus, others, yourself. When you put Jesus first, others, second, yourself last, you can live a life of joy even in the midst of the greatest trials and the greatest tribulations. And the way we're able to do that is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's either with you, in you, or upon you. That's the Bible. He's with the world. that He convicts them of sin. They call them their conscience. But as believers, when you were born again, He went from being with you to being in you. And now He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the down, that's the down payment on heaven. Amen? It's a, the ownership papers that we belong to the Lord. And the Bible also talks about the Spirit being upon us. So He's in the Spirit it gets a vision of the world outside of this world, gets a vision of, again, the eternal things that are taking place around us, and again, for us to get to know Jesus better, may we walk in the Spirit. It's impossible to live a holy and set-apart life without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. How often should we pray to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? Always. Why? Because we leak. Can I get an amen? We need to be filled again. Amen? Again, we're born again, we're going to heaven, but you know we need less of us and more of Him. John the Baptist said, Jesus said, A men born among women, none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. Amen? So he's got this vision of what's taking place, and he hears from behind him a loud voice as a trumpet. Now, the trumpet is a distinct sound. It's used to attract everyone's attention. It was a call into battle or to gather them up for an important announcement. And John hears this loud voice from behind him with a very distinct and attention-grabbing sound that could not be ignored. And again, often when God's, God is speaking, we're just not listening. And God is going to be speaking to John. He's getting his attention. The trumpet blows. Everything else needs to stop. He needs to put his focus on the Lord. Again, I, he says there, now, when he hears the voice, he turns around and here's what he sees. And these letters should be in red. If you've got a Bible that has red letters and it says this. Who's talking here? Who's talking? Okay, here's what he says. So he hears this loud voice. He turns around. It's the voice of a trumpet. And he sees, I am, someone say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He's saying, look, I'm going to show you. And I want you to take what you see, and I want you to deliver it to the church because they need to hear it. Now, we know it's seven churches. We'll get to this next week. And seven's a number of completion or perfection. This is a message to those individual churches, but it's also a message to us, the church as a whole. Amen? So he turns around and he sees Jesus. Now, we're going to see in a minute, Jesus doesn't look the way he looked the last time he saw him 60 years before. Because the last time he saw him was hanging on a cross, but then he saw him again after he rose from the dead. And then he spent some time with him, and then he saw him ascending into heaven and heard the words, look up, you know, you know for redemption draweth nigh. be prepared, right? I'm coming back, go and pr- proclaim the gospel. So now he's going to see Jesus again. And he knew Jesus well, again, head on his chest at the Last Supper, but now he's going to see him and he's going to look so much different. The loud voice belongs to the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last uh, letter of the Greek alphabet. That means the beginning and the end. He's the A to the Z and everything in between. Amen? He's an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. People like to prioritize where they put God in their priorities. Well, you know, I have God, and then I have my family, and then I have... And again, that's good. But you know what I tell people? My priorities one to a thousand is Jesus is all of them. Can I get an amen to that? He's the alpha and the omega and everything in between. It's all about him. Make Him the, You know what? If I make him the priority, I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better father. I'll be a better papa. I'll be a better man. I'll be a better pastor. Amen? And we need to seek first his kingdom. So this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus, again, a title of deity that he used... Uh, referring to himself in in Revelation 1, verse 8. And now he repeats it here. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's the third time he's told us he is the beginning and the end. So this refutes every false uh, gospel that is taught that teaches that Jesus is created. He is not created. He is creator. Amen? He always has been and he always will be. Well, where was he before time? He was there. He created time. Where was he before that? He was there. You want a headache? He was there. He was there. He always was, always has been, always will be. He created time. There was no time till he created time. When a bigger headache, there was no space till he created space. What is there without space? Mind blown. Amen. But that's our God. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who's speaking. And he tells John what he is about to see isn't to be kept secret. I'm going to show you this and you need to go tell it to all the churches. Guys, the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. I have the gospel, I have the answer, I have the antidote to the death serum, let me just put it in my pocket, I've got my get out of hell free card, and not worry about anybody else. Guys, as believers, we should share the hope that we have within us to a lost and a dying world, amen? He's telling him, and again, seven is a number of completeness, symbolizing that this is a message for the entire church, and hearing this loud, distinct, and attention-grabbing voice, receiving both his identification and his command. He tells him, I am. Alpha and the Omega. This is who I am, and now I'm going to give you some direction. Point number four. By seeing Jesus for who He is in all His glory. You guys ready? This is good stuff. Look what it says. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to His feet, girded about His chest with a golden band. His head and His hair were white like wool, and white as snow and his eyes were like the flame of fire his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice was the sound of many waters thought to occurred to me the Lord's still speaking most still don't listen and one of my favorite hymns is turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of its glory and grace. Guys, we need when the Lord is speaking to stop everything else and turn and hear from him. And again, we need to do that by spending time in the word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in his presence. We can only imagine what went through John's mind as he recognizes it's Jesus, but he doesn't look the way he did when he ascended into heaven. He's not seeing Jesus who came as the suffering servant, the one who came as the Savior of the world, the one who had taken on humanity, but now he sees him in, his glory, in all of his glory. And when he sees him, he is blown away by the picture of who Jesus is. Turned to look, the one he had walked with for three years and hadn't seen with his own eyes in 60 Again, going to look different than he did in his earthly body. Revealing Jesus is more, again, than a humble servant. But again, he is the all knowing, almighty, all powerful God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, again, Revelation's not hard to understand. When we get to uh, verse 20, we know that the lampstands represent the churches. And it's interesting that the churches are referred to as lampstands, because remember, if you've been coming for the Old Testament, that within the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, there was a golden lampstand, right? And it provided light. And we as Christians are called to be the light of the world, amen? He is the light of the world, but we are to be a reflection of Him. We're supposed to be the moon, right? Amen? What does the moon do? It reflects the sun, amen? And we don't reflect the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, Amen? And we are called to be the light of the world. We are called to be a reflection of Him. We are the bride of Christ. I've done hundreds of weddings, and I love it. I told you that I have the best seat in the house. I'm right here. I get to be next to the guy right before he starts crying. I get to see her coming out the door. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But you know what? I've never seen a bride without seeing a groom, too. Amen? When you see a woman in a wedding dress, and you know the groom's around here somewhere, and you know what? As believers, we should live in such a way that they see us clothed in in purity because of what Christ has done for us, knowing that because they see us the way that we are, having been born again, that we know that the groom's around here somewhere. Can I get an amen? that he is nearby and we're a reflection of him and that joy that comes when their eyes meet at the wedding. And guys, there's a day coming. We're going to see our Lord, our God, our Savior as his bride. We're going to see our groom one day, and I'm looking forward to that. We are the church to be the light of the world. And again, a holy place, the golden lampstand brought light and was to be cared for by the priests. The light was never allowed to go out. And again, we are reflections of Jesus, drawing others to him. The world often sees the Lord's bride before they recognize him, and we should be a reflection. Then it said back there in verse thirteen, In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed and girded, like the son of man, with a garment down to it to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. So how's John's heart Heart must have leapt when he saw Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. And again, the lampstands reflect the church. And he is here this morning. Notice that Jesus is in the midst of the churches. Amen. And you know, where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. So he is the guest of honor here this morning. Amen. And he, we are all, he is always in our presence. This is why we forsake not the gathering ourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? We need to gather more and more, not less and less, because when we come together, again, we have an intimate fellowship with God always, but there's something special about when God's people come together to worship the Lord, to study his word, and to minister to each other. Amen? And it's a special, special thing, and he's always in our presence, and he's here this morning. In the midst of the sanctuary, in the children's ministry, he's receiving our worship, and he's speaking to us through his word. Son of man is a figure of glory. Looking back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, let me read this to you. By the way, when I finish Revelation, I was going to go back to Matthew, and I will, but before I do, I am going to teach through Daniel on Sunday morning. So as soon as we finish Revelation, we're going to look at Daniel, and, and the reason is because it's... It's the second most prophetic book in the Bible after Revelation, and they really do tie together. So Revelation 7, 13, and 14 says this. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before me. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom to all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. That's our God. Amen. No one can ever snatch us out of his hand. His kingdom will never be taken away. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is the Son of man. It's a title that is used for the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? Again, as the world around us, uh, whether it's the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormon church or anybody else, they make Jesus less and man more. That's what all cults do. They make Jesus less and man more. They, they say you can be God of your own planet, and they say Jesus is created, not creator. Guys, anybody who makes Jesus less is a cult and run, run quickly from it, amen? He's not created, he is the creator, and there's no one greater than him. We now have only one, one of only two descriptions of Jesus in all of scripture, the first one in Daniel and the second one here, what he looks like in heaven. And it says he's clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about his chest with a golden band. So Jesus is wearing a robe with a golden band and priestly garments. Um, Jesus is the great high priest. The priests used to wear similar garments and went down to their feet, but the band around them only had golden threads in it, and his is a pure golden band. And again, the fabric, the gold threads woven into it, but Jesus is the great high priest. Now, what do priests do? What do they do? They do two things. They intercede with God on behalf of the people. They intercede with people on behalf of God. Amen. What did the priest do? They brought the sacrifice on behalf of the people, and then they would hear from God and they would go speak to the people. And what is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding on our behalf. Amen. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, and then he speaks to us through his word. Amen. So he is the great high priest, and it's not, you know, it makes perfect sense that he was dressed as a as the great high priest in heaven, interceding on our behalf, again, helping us to burn brightly as we've been adopted. And then it says his head and hair were white like wool. I feel better about my gray hair right about now. It speaks of maturity. In old age, it speaks of the Lord's wisdom and timelessness. White as snow emphasizes the idea of His purity. It says in Isaiah 1.18, Through your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. See, our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away and He sees us as holy and perfect. He always has been, He always will be. He's the all-knowing and all-powerful. It says His eyes are like flames of fire. See, Jesus sees all things. Now, sometimes we love that, and sometimes, oh, wait a minute. Just remember, next time you're being tempted, Lord's watching. Can I get an amen? As a pastor, again, people will find I'm a pastor, and they'll they'll apologize for taking God's name in vain in front of me. Oh, I didn't know your pastor. Sorry about that. I go, bro, you ain't got to worry about me. Jesus is always watching. (laughs) Amen? He's got an eye on you all the time. He, He keeps his eyes on us. He's faithful. But his eyes are like flames of fire. He sees all things and he righteously judges all things. You know, he's a, he's a righteous judge. Now look, again, people struggle with that because we live in a time today where we think it's never my fault. I should never be accountable. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's pointing at somebody else. And here's the reality. And again, if it's your first time here, it might be your last after I say this, but just know that I love you. You're a bunch of stinking ball sinners just like me. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we've been forgiven, so we're sinners no more in that sense. We're born again, we're holy in in Him. But there's this mentality that it's always someone else's fault. We want to point to somebody else. God is a loving, gracious, and merciful God who desires that none should perish, no, not one. But He's also a righteous judge. Amen? Because if He did not judge sin, and where, where was the ultimate judgment take place? It took place on the cross. I'll mention that to people and say, well, you're a sinner like me. Well, so wait a minute. God made, he, made me, and I'm a sinner because he made me, and I was born with a sin nature, and then I sin, and then it's my fault. That doesn't seem fair. And I'll say, okay. And I'll say, well, what do you think? Well, what, well, if he's a loving God, why would he? Do? I said, well, let me ask you a question. If, if you don't think you should pay for your sin, who do you think should pay for it? Well, maybe the God who created me should pay for it. You know what? You're right. He did. Amen? See, that's a loving, gracious, and merciful God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he took all of our sin upon himself and he knew separation from the Father. And he adored the torment, the suffering, and the shame so that you and I might be forgiven. That's the God that we serve, amen? So he is the judge, but he's also the redeemer, amen? He's the one behind the court, but he's also the one that was willing to go out and pay the fine for you if you will but let him. So he's a righteous judge. And he has to be because he's a righteous God. His voice, the sound of many waters. Jesus' voice has the power and majesty of a mighty waterfall. I don't know if you've ever been around a mighty waterfall. They're majestic and powerful and awe-inspiring. There's a place my family likes to go, and and I love to go stand under the waterfalls. I just love to stand there and just have them pour over the top of me. And so his voice, so not only does he hear the the trumpet, and he turns around, and he sees he's in awe of of how Jesus looks in heaven, and then he hears him speak, and it's just like this mighty, like a waterfall. It's powerful. It's awe-inspiring. Amen? Guys, when we hear God's voice, we're going to know it. Amen? Then he says there in verse 16 it said verse 15 His feet were like fine brass, uh, a feet glowing in purity like heated metal. You know, how do how you know it, it fine brass, how do you how do you make something fine? What they would do is they would take metal and they would heat it up and then they would remove the dross and the hotter it got, the more refined it became. And our God is pure in his purity, again, his feet are like fine brass, as it was refined in a furnace, and his voice the sound of many waters. Again, I just love that picture. That's the picture of Jesus in heaven. He doesn't look like those guys in those paintings. It looks all wimpy. Can I get an amen to that? When we see him, it's going to be awe-inspiring. And no matter how great you think God is, when you get to heaven, he's going to be greater than that. Amen? When we see him, we are going to be blown away. I often think when I see him, I'm going to think, oh man, I'd have prayed more if I knew. Guys, let's start praying more now. It's not too late. Now, I'll just say this briefly. The last time I taught through this book, you've heard this, uh, in 2009, uh, after I taught this chapter is when I had a major physical problem and I I was in the back of the ambulance and they were panicking with the hospital saying they didn't think I'd make it to the hospital. And uh, I started praying for my family and then I started thinking, I'm about to see Jesus looking just like this. And I was like, let's get it. Can I get an amen to that? You know, in the back of that ambulance was the time in my life that I've been most happy that I am saved. Amen? And as believers, you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? And so the reality is, if you know the Lord, you're going to see him face to face. Amen? This is the God that we serve, and this is the God that intercedes for us, and this is the God that stands up against the enemy for us, and this is the God who, who Satan is a defeated foe. Amen? That's the God that we serve. Why are we afraid of anything? Let's just look to Jesus. Let's just get the ball to Jesus, amen? Let's get the focus on Jesus. He's the great I am, and we can trust him. Can't wait to hear his voice in person. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So the seven stars, we'll see this as we get to the next chapter, but it speaks of seven like messengers, so the the leaders of the individual churches it could be angels over the churches but the real recollection is the pastors of the churches. And so the he's holding the pastors in his hands but what I want you to know that nobody sees the stars because he's shining like the noonday sun. Amen. So when and if you have a bunch of stars in your hand but you're shining as bright as the sun, nobody notices the stars. And here's the reality, nobody should know who the pastors are. They should only know who Jesus is. Can I get any men to that? It's not about who delivers the message. If any, anything good comes out of my mouth or your mouth, it's only by the grace of God and he gets all the glory. It's not because of us, it's in spite of us. We're the foolish things of the world that God chooses to use. Amen? And so he's holding them in his hand, which also makes me feel very accountable. Every time I teach God's word, I will be accountable one day for every word that comes out of my mouth and I take that, don't take that for granted. So I don't teach unprepared. But that being said, it's never been about us or about me. It's always been about him. Amen? And he's the one we look to. We don't put our faith in a man. We put our faith in our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The seven, again, is the number of completion. He holds the whole church in his hand. Out of, the mouth, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. So is John speaking of something purely symbolic or something he actually saw? Whether seen or John simply being pierced by his word, the sword in the Bible always represents the word of God. Amen. When you go to Ephesians 6, the armor of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon you see in the whole armor of God, right? You have the breastplate and the helmet and belt and belt of truth, and you have all these things. But the one offensive weapon is the sword, which is the Word of God. And so it's the Word of God that helps us as believers to fight off the temptations of this life. Again, the pictures in Revelation are defined in Scripture, and we see in Ephesians 6, again, that the sharp two-edged sword is the armor of God. And again, no handling this weapon without cutting yourself. And the Word of God impacts those that handle it and those who hear it, and we need to have time set aside to read His Word. Notice it says there, His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. The glory of Jesus is so great and so bright that it's hard to even look upon him. You guys remember this when, the, when, the, when Almighty God appeared on Mount Sinai and other places, they would hear his voice and they'd be scared out to death. Moses, you go talk to him. I don't want to talk to him anymore. You just go talk to him and tell us what he said. And when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, what's he doing? He's glowing, right? Because he, he just saw the backside of God's glory. He put him in the cleft of the rock. He covered him up. He let him see the backside. And he comes down glowing in the dark. Just seeing the backside of Almighty God, not seeing His presence, the way that John's getting this vision. And guys, uh, the glory of God being shined upon us should reflect to the world around us. Amen? The same glory, this transfiguration, when His face shone like the sun, His first coming veiled His glory, His glory will be veiled no more. Charles Spurgeon says this, what do you see in Christ's right hand? Seven stars, yet how insignificant they appear inside of His face. They are stars, and there are seven of them, but who can even see seven stars, for that matter, 70,000 stars when the sun shines in its strength? How sweet it is when the Lord Himself is so present in a congregation that the preacher, whoever it may be, is altogether forgotten. I pray you, dear friends, when you go to a place of worship, always try to see the Lord's face rather than the stars in His hand. Look at the sun and forget the stars. Amen? Amen. And he's not just the S-U-N, he's the S-O-N. Can I get an amen to that? So everybody in this vision speaks of the strength and majesty and authority and righteousness. It's impressive, different between the vision of Christ and, again, these weak portrayals of him. But we know that he he is so powerful. Our God is greater than anything we will ever face. Amen? He's greater. And he's living and risen and triumphed over sin and death. Muhammad's dead. Joseph Smith's dead. Mary Baker Eddy's dead. Charles Taze Russell is dead. L. Ron Hubbard is dead. All these founders of false religions, we can dig up their bones. I've been to the tomb. It's empty. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death, who has seated at the right hand of the Father with a picture that we just saw interceding on our behalf. And soon and very soon, He's going to come and take us home. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? Finally, last few points. By coming to Him in brokenness, and desperation. Watch how he responds. When I saw him, I said, I've got some questions. That's not what it says. (laughs) You ever meet people, when I meet God, I got some questions. No, you don't, bro. (laughs) Right? Look what it says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Keep in mind, this is a man who traveled with Jesus for three years. This is a man who had his head on his chest. This is a man who called him this disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the one who Jesus looked down from the cross and said, John, introduce him to you know Mary. She knew Mary. You take care of my earthly mom. This is one that he saw after he rose from the dead. This is one he saw as he ascended into heaven, but now when he sees him in his glorified state, all he can do is fall flat on his face. Guys, being in God's presence, we, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. What's awesome to me is that John, again, who had walked with him for so long, when he saw him in his glorified state, it just took the wind out of him. Again, it, he wrote the Gospels. He knew Jesus better than anybody, probably any, than anybody who ever lived, and it was far more awesome than he could ever imagine. So, for John, who knew Jesus that well, it was far beyond what he could imagine. How much more, far beyond what we can imagine, will it be? I can't wait. Heaven is better, amen? Again, we don't have questions for Jesus. We'll just fall on our faces before him. There's peace in knowing him. And again, you think John was glad he was saved? Again, he's out on that pile of rocks. He has this vision of the Lord. He's dead on his feet. And again, if you know him, it's a good place to be. Point number five, by allowing him to minister to you. Now watch what happens. But he laid his hand, right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. See, as believers, no doubt we will respond the same way. But the good news is that the Lord will touch us. And he will say, we don't have to be afraid. Now, if you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. And we live in a world right now that's afraid of everything. They're worried about the temperature going up by one eighth of a degree in the next 50 years. And they're panicked, right? And glo- climate change is not what we should be. Eternal warming is something you ought to worry about. <laughs> Not temporal warming. Amen. But there's this panic and this mentality. And again, the good news is we don't have to be afraid of anything because our God is there and he is faithful and he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. He proved it on the cross. You should walk in in the joy and the peace and the knowledge that you're going to see him face to face soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. Amen. Dead on his feet, Jesus touches him. We're all dead until we've been touched by Jesus. Amen. He's dead in his feet, and then the Lord touches him, and he has life. Do not be afraid. I am the first to laugh while seeing him again. We don't have to be afraid because he's not just the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's our Savior. Amen? We've been adopted into his family. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and no one will ever snatch it out. Notice he says, I am the first and last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and to death. See, Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. And again, the two things the world fears the most is hell and death. And Jesus has the victory over both. Amen. And we don't have victory unless we know him. He's got the keys. You can't have them duplicated either, amen? You got to go to him. He's got the keys. He's the one that has triumphed over sin, triumphed over death. He is the one that will keep us from ever spending eternity in hell. He has power over all of it. And guys, we can only have peace if we know him and we rest in him because he has freed us from both, amen? Amen. Death again, the greatest fear of man, yet we're all going to die. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, death has no sting, and we will never, ever experience hell. There's people who will tell you, I'm not afraid of hell. You notice how all the people that say that have never been there. I might <laughs> go a couple minutes over, life will go on. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. So I'm, I, I, when I was youth pastor in Lancaster for 15 years, I had this guy that would volunteer the youth group, and I was a big guy back then, but he's a really big guy, like 6'6 and like 300 pounds, and... I mean, he, he looked like a Coke machine. he just this big dude, right? And he just, he just strike fear to everybody. And he had a real heart for teenagers. And we would go down to the mall, we would go down to the movie theater and talk to kids in line at the movie theater on Friday nights about Jesus. And one kid was, you know, had you know, some kind of satanic shirt on. I'm not afraid of hell. I'm going to shake hands with all my friends, and we're going to party in hell. I'm be the bartender in hell. I can still remember this. And Scott says, you're not afraid of hell, really? And Scott reaches out and grabs this teenager's wrist, Holds it like this, pulls a lighter out of his pocket and starts lighting his palm on fire. And the kid, and I'm like, Scott, <laughs> we might be in jail. And he's holding this kid's hand and the kid's like, ah, and he just keeps holding it there for like 10 seconds. I can hear the, I can smell the flesh starting to burn. I'm like, Scott, and he lets it go and he goes, You're not afraid of hell? He goes, that was 10 seconds of a lighter on the palm of your hand. Imagine having that multiplied times infinity head to toe for all eternity. Don't tell me you're not afraid of hell. I was like, whoa, that was a good point, but I don't know how it went there. <laughs> I can't. that kid, I, look, I, that was 25 years ago. I have not forgotten that. I bet that kid hasn't forgotten it either, especially when he looks at the little scar in the palm of his hand for the rest of his life. But guys, we don't have to fear hell only because Jesus paid the price for it. But every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. We, we should have a burden to see them saved. Amen? Amen? He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Again, allow him to minister to you. Allow him to, to touch you. Allow him to speak into your life and allow him to deliver you from sin and death. Final verse, verse 19 and 20 by heeding his instructions. And here's the theme verse, really, the kind of the overview of this whole book. Verse 19 says, "'Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this.'" So we know that there were future events that we'll be reading from this point on, the things that he had seen, Jesus, when he came the first time, things that are taking place now, and the things that are coming afterward. So this is a very important verse because it gives us the basic outline of the rest of this book, John had already seen the vision of Jesus in chapter 1, the things which are, which was the church age, chapter 2 and 3, and the things that will take place after this in chapter 4, verse 1, again, says, I looked and behold, the door was opened to heaven and the word in Greek is metetetau. And again, it's from that perspective that he sees the rest of what takes place in the book of Revelation. So remember that as we're reading forward, it was things that were taking place in the future from that moment. And then it says there in verse 20, last verse, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on the right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars... Now notice, what are the seven stars? I don't know. Well, just keep reading the text, because here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word angel there is messenger. So it could be an angelic person God had overseeing that church but more than likely, it the word messenger there could be the pastor of the church. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So he's saying he's holding the churches and the messengers to the churches in his hand, and he is the light that brings light to both the messengers and to the church. Does that make sense? It's pretty clear. It's right there in the Bible. It's not that hard to figure out. And Jesus helps us by giving us an understanding of part of what John has seen and tells us indeed some of what John has seen it has uh, symbolic importance and what they point to and again if it's not explained right in this book there's another verse somewhere in the Bible that will explain the things that are in this book. So we don't have to wonder what these things are. And in Revelation, we always want to take it as literal unless it's impossible. I use this, the analogy where it says there's scorpions that come up out of the ground and bite, you know, have fire and bite people and they die. And people say, those are Apache helicopters that fly out there. And they say, what do you think? I think it's scorpions that come up out of the ground and bite people and they die. Because <laughs> it's in the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? We don't need to reinterpret scripture. Let's just read it for what it is. So revelation is the unveiling of Christ, not the things hidden in Christ, but the unveiling of Christ. And my prayer is, as we go through this book, we've got a lot more chapters to go through, my prayer is that you will be strengthened and encouraged, because see, to know, Jesus, to know Jesus better is to love Him more. And the more we know Him, the more we can stand with assurance of who we are in Him. Amen? And it gives us peace and joy in the midst of the trials of life to know that he is interceding on our behalf. So in closing, getting to know Jesus in a deeper way by remaining steadfast in his word, even in the most difficult of times. You know, the enemy wants you to stay away from this book. It's been said that sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Amen? And a Bible that's falling apart is a sign of a life that isn't. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to spend time in His Word and remain steadfast. By walking in the Spirit, by being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to live a holy and set-apart life without being empowered by the Spirit. By listening for His voice. When's the last time you turned off all your social media? All of it. Digital crack, right? Turn it all off. And just be in God's presence and be still and wait to hear from Him by seeing Jesus for who He is in all His glory. My prayer is you never think of Jesus again looking like that wimpy dude in that painting that you saw. And when you think about Him, this picture that you see, His eyes of flame, right? His voice of rushing water. The, I mean, just that the powerful, powerful picture of our Savior. That's our God that we serve. Amen? By coming to him in brokenness and desperation, as soon as he saw who he was, even though he knew Jesus so well, the only thing he could do was fall to his face. May we be driven to our knees before him. By allowing him to minister to you, he reached down and touched John and brought back peace. There was no more fear because he's triumphed over death and triumphed over hell. The two great fears that we have have been defeated. We need fear them no more. Amen? And then finally, by heeding his instructions, by listening to his direction and his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we we long for the day when we will see you face to face. And Lord, we know that you're interceding on our behalf right now. We know that you're here in our midst because you hold the seven lampstand in your hands, and that's the church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives, that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. But, Lord, we would long to to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. And, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible tells us if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Salvation doesn't come by joining a church or being a better person. It's by recognizing you're a sinner and crying out to the Lord and asking Him to forgive you. The word there is to repent. Repent means to turn around. That you are walking in a direction away from the Lord and you've been convicted by His Spirit. He's drawing you into Himself to say, I'm ready to surrender my life, not just to make you Savior, but to make you my Lord. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in Heaven. If you deny me before men... I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Again, if you've never given your life to the Lord, or maybe you prayed a prayer a long time ago, but your life never changed, and you're ready to surrender your life fully to him, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are, confessing him before men, and we'll pray with you. And if you're you're sincere of heart, you're truly ready to repent, you can walk out of here knowing that the price for both death and hell have been paid for, that the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you, and you'll be born again. Anybody here this morning at all, don't leave here without him. Don't live here without him. Most of you already know him, but if you're here and you don't, don't worry about what anybody else is thinking. The Lord loves you so much. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You see...